0: Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, how to pitch, and here to discuss is returning champion, the pitch master himself, Dave Noel. Dave is a partner in Keller Knoll Productions, a TV show creator, executive producer, and two-time Emmy winner with over 60 television shows to his credit, including Chopped, which is currently in season number 54 on the Food Network. Shows that Dave has successfully dreamed up and pitched with his partner in crime, Cleve Keller, have racked up a staggering half a billion dollars in sales. That is a serious metric. Dave is also the visionary in charge, which just happens to be the title of his new book, available in September, 2023. Welcome back to the podcast, Dave. I am so excited for this conversation and really thank you for saying yes again.
1: Oh my gosh, it's an honor. Um, I really enjoy your podcast, but more importantly, I really enjoy you and I always have, as long as I've ever known you, since the very first time we met, Um, not, not that long ago. But, you know, it was a while.
0: Well, for anybody new to the podcast, Dave and I were colleagues at BH one And um, when I met Dave, you were a production assistant?
1: Probably. Yeah. I was a, like a PA or maybe even a, even an intern or something. I don't yeah. know.
0: And, and the whole reason to point that out is, you know, you were a PA or an intern. And now you have half a billion dollars in sales <laughs> as uh, the visionary in charge with over 60 television shows to your credit. So I just, it's a um, pretty awesome and inspiring career trajectory
1: and a wife and three kids and a lot of lost a lot of lost hours of sleep so <laughs> many so well, many.
0: again I'm really really thrilled you're here because you really are the pitch master so <laughs> um I'm personally really excited about this I mean the quote-unquote asking for a friend phase or I'll just be really honest is this, this is an example of when I have people on the podcast because they're things I really want to know and learn But I wanted to get in by saying pitching is not just for television. Mm -hmm. My clients and listeners pitch themselves for money and with investors. They pitch ideas to their bosses. They're pitching products. So I really want to start out by asking, you know, what are some of Dave's um, secrets to successful Mm -hmm. pitching?
1: Look, the way I look at it is um, I have a section of the book. So the the book is uh, seven main sections and I have a section of the book and it is called Life's a Pitch and sure. Then You Die. And I am always shocked, you know, because when you when you create and sell and produce TV shows, inevitably um, you will come across people who, you know, react with slight scorn or just outright scorn. And they say things like, well, I could never sell anything. I'm not a salesperson like you are. There's a lot of that, like negativity, like I would never sell. And it's like, okay, that's totally, you know, whatever. I don't care. But, um, the way I look at it and I think it's true is life's a pitch. Life's a series of pitches. You, you, I, I once, you know, tried to get my wife to go out with me. I finally, you know, or, you know, she wasn't my wife then I finally did. And then I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes, the, uh, w- most importantly, getting a job. Anytime you're going out for a job, almost any time you're going against other people, you're putting yourself out there, whether it's love or work or, or anything important, selling anything, creating anything, um, anything important in life comes with a pitch. And every brand, everything we all love, whether it's Disney or Coca-Cola or McDonald's or anything, it all started with a, a pitch or a series of pitches. So when I get scorned, I, you know, well, I could never be a salesperson, unlike you, Dave. Um, I'm like, well, you will probably succeed less because you don't know what you're doing.
0: I want to go on record as saying I was one of those people for a long, long time. To- no, for a long, 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 long time. And transformative when I started to understand exactly what you just said. One thing that helped me was learning the idea that um, sales is simply enthusiasm transferred. Absolutely. And that too, we're in sales all day long.
1: We all are. Wait, Exchange wait.
0: of ideas. What do you want to have for dinner? Where do you want to go? hundred percent. We so- all are. Yeah. So once you change your relationship with that, and the S word no longer becomes a dirty or scary word. Yes. And and, and then we can go into it. it's like having to believe in what you're selling, and that's that's where coaching comes in, by the way. Yeah. Um, especially if you're selling yourself. But okay, Dave. So right away, when did you figure out you were good at this?
1: Yeah, it's uh, I it's I think it's all accidental. I really had no. I I just had this thing for I want to create TV shows before I even knew that was a thing. Uh, when I was in college, um, I started, the, the American University had this big empty studio that they didn't really do much with. There was once a week, a news thing that the, that the students did on Sunday nights. Um, and at one point there was a game show they did called The Roommate Game. But other than that, it was pretty empty and junior year I started a talk show uh, which was called midnight with Dave Knoll. and and um, what I learned doing that for 40 episodes 40 hours um, was my favorite part of it was the creativity of it my favorite part of it was creating the show creating the segments Uh, getting those things and then getting people to believe in them and then getting people to help out and launching them and have having somebody go, Hey, I, oh my gosh, I watched that episode. That was really good. Um, that was really cool to me. The amazing part of that story, um, is my brother took over the show. He ended up doing, so he's four years younger than me. So he, he started as the co-host of the show. My co-host became the host um, and then after a year, he took over as host, did a hundred plus episodes. And then I started working with you at VH1. And then my brother came to me and, and we he had all these amazing clips. He was a 10 times better host than me, much funnier, um, just much more out there. His creative brain works at, on this comedic level that mine just doesn't. And so we took his clips almost sold it to MTV, came extremely close, like all of, and, and was, you know, shocked, you know, when it didn't go, cause it was gonna go and it, they were gonna pick up a pilot and it, you know, like everything in TV, it failed. But then we took those clips and brought them to Comedy Central and Comedy Central said, we're gonna pick up a pilot. So this show that I created in college, um, became a Comedy Central pilot. And then they picked up 10 episodes and I got my little brother with him. It was his talent. It's his amazing talent. But we got uh, him 10 episodes on Comedy Central. It was one of their first talk shows, if not their first talk show. It was called The Chris Wilde. They changed the title, uh, which was too bad, but it was called The Chris Wilde Show, starring Chris Wilde. And so that was one of the things early on that taught me, oh, this is what I like. I didn't even know there were people who created shows, by the way. I literally... I didn't know that. So when I started at VH1, I happened to become a person who kept annoying people that we worked with, like Bill Brand and Lawrence Lasnick and all these people. I just kept saying, "Hey, what if? What about this? What if we did this or this show? What if? What if we did this segment?" Um, and I tried to do it in a very nice way, but in a way that all of those things that you were just talking about, you you there you realize very quickly that the goal is to get people to live the show so when i'm pitching now we just we had like three big pitches yesterday my whole goal is to get people to live live two things one is live the show so they are feeling the show you can't totally right because you need money to launch the show so it's through my words through pictures through video if if we're using a, a, a tape of some sort you're getting them to live the show, but then also live the success of the show. Um, and all of that is kind of hard to do, but that one of the keys is you need to feel it yourself. And I that is no matter what you're selling, whether you're trying to get a job or whether you're trying to get someone to fall in love with you or whether you're, whether you're launching a new product, obviously, um, you need to feel all that success yourself or else, no one. Who else is gonna believe you? Whether you're, even if you're selling garbage bags, why are your garbage bags the best garbage bags in the history of garbage? Um, you need to feel and live that success, so then you can get them to live it with you.
0: I have so many follow-up questions. Go. Okay, so oh, we're launching in right in no now. particular order, but then relative to yesterday's three big pitches and the belief how do you, and if you could speak for Cleve, sort of like mentally, emotionally, and physically prepare for that pitch, which is different than the practical preparation. Cause then I want to get into like how you communicate your pitch, but like, how are you, because you're tapping into your belief, but it's one thing to to think about believing. It's another thing to believe.
1: The, the, the First of all, well, I mean, just the basics. Like if I'm, if I have three big giant pitches in a day, there is definitely coffee involved. (laughs) There is definitely coffee involved. Um, And when I say that, I don't just mean to like wake me up, but I mean like just the act of that second cup or the third cup as you approach the third pitch is like reminding yourself, okay, let's, and you don't, it's, it's the difficult thing is you don't want to feel, you don't want them to feel like, oh, you're on, and he's, and and it's. You want them to feel that he loves the show so much. He he believes in the success so much that this is that's the goal. That's the goal. Can so you clarify coffee. what
0: that means to believe in the success? I think this is we're landing on something so valuable and powerful here.
1: Well, it's when you're pitching a show, right? I don't just want. I mean, what cleve and I have been able to do, which you know, it's. I don't. It sounds uh over the t- it sounds bragging it sounds over the top but it's true what the truth of the matter is what we've been able to do twice now is create the biggest money-making show in the history of two different networks and that's it's you know you have worked in television you know that's insanely hard to do right so chopped they they've really had two gigantic hits uh, diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. Look, and I hold that's. A, I wish that was my show. That is an amazing television show. And then Chopped, Chopped, is so valuable to them that it's like crazy to even think about how valuable that has been to that network and to Discovery and now to Warner Brothers. And then America Says, which is our game show, it is the biggest show in the history of the game show network. Um, no other show. Uh, comes close. We've now produced over 540 episodes. They've launched, I don't know, they've tried to launch 15 other shows on the back of our show. Um, There were, there are weeks where it airs 70 or 80 times in the week. And to show just how big TV can be, there have been weeks where that's over 20 million viewers. So if you add up 80 times, X number of viewers in the and that's 79 repeats in one new episode. That's how well the show repeats. Um, so when I say live the success, when when we're pitching a new show, say it's anything, say it's a a true crime show, or say it's a a new performance competition. It's a new it's a new dance competition. What we're trying to say is, look, this show isn't just good for next year. Like right, because right? it's going to take a year for us to do the pilot for you to watch the pilot and go. Oh, my God, it's amazing. These people are freaking geniuses. But you're going to watch the pilot. You're going to pick it up. You're going to buy your 10 episodes or whatever. But this show is so good that it's going to pop a number. It's so cool and original. And then you're going to repeat it. And people are still going to watch it. And then you're going to order instead of 10, you're going to be like, well, maybe we should order 20 of these next. And then there's going to be a year where you order 40 of them. And then that, and they're ten years from now. We're all going to talk about, oh my gosh, that was the greatest pitch I've ever taken. You know, whoever the executive is that we're pitching, what you want is really to change their life, right? You want to to give them a show that's so successful that when they retire and someone says, "What's the most valuable pitch you ever took?" It's like, oh my gosh, a hundred percent that pitch with Cleve Keller and Dave Nall that day. That's the, you know, and how do you cram all that into a half hour meeting? (laughs) That's the hard part.
0: (laughs) Wait, I want to go back then because you said this in the episode we did earlier when you talked about positivity Mm -hmm. as being part of your secret sauce and a really important aspect to pitching and developing and maintaining relationships, but you actually shared kind of the key to the chopped pitch. And one of the things, so a tenant of communications is, you know, meeting your audience where they are. And you sort of just alluded to this is identifying for your listener, in this case, a network executive, how this fits in for them. Meet them and speak the language that they speak. And I think in the CHOP case, you identified where it would fit in the schedule, how it helped. Like there was a hole.
1: Luckily in, we knew there was a hole that we knew they wanted one other competition, but luckily I had worked at VH1 and MTV and done things for comedy central and, uh, and Nickelodeon. And I asked a ton of questions and what you learn about our marathoning and stacking and how some shows are more valuable than others. And, and like all this comes down to research, by the way, no, no matter what you're pitching, you should do, more research than you've ever done and and we can talk about that more definitely um but in the chopped pitch you know first of all we had this great line uh this it's called chopped it's basically iron chef which was their biggest hit they were trying to replicate that but we said it's iron chef meets eliminate and that was genius for multiple reasons one it's so simple but but two It's a laugh line right away. It makes people smile. We were pitching the great Charles Norlander uh, then at the Food Network. And Charles smiled and laughed at the line. So before you even realize how great the show idea is, you're laughing. It immediately put him in this great mood. He had never heard those words before. Iron Chef meets Elimidate. And why would he? It's a crazy (laughs) thing to say. Elimidate is a trashy dating show. Iron Chef was a high-end cooking competition. Charles Norlander, a high-end, you know, uh, well-dressed, well-spoken human being. That line made him laugh. But then we were able to say, here's what the show is. This show is great. It's in a very clear, concise way. And we were able to say, look, this is the perfect show for your nighttime block where you're looking. It was Tuesday nights where you're looking to put a new cooking competition Um, But it's also the perfect show. It could lead at seven o'clock into any other show. It's also the perfect show to marathon so that the clear, concise way um, I said that was this could be your Jeopardy. And again, he he laughed at the audacity of that statement. And it is audacious. In this particular, I've said a lot of audacious things over the years. This is the one time where it came true. (laughs) Where it did become their Jeopardy. It, It has led into... I, hundreds of shows over the last decade. They have marathoned it on the weekends and it does extremely well. It does better and better and better as the day goes on. Um, so in this one particular case, it, it was true. So I that that is what we did in that pitch.
0: So you take from being like, I'm a creative and now to successfully sell and pitch or pitch and sell, <laughs> I need to think like a programmer.
1: Exactly. You know, and all when you learn about selling, right, you keep hearing it's all about uh, fulfilling some sort of need, pointing out uh, a need, or I've heard the term pain point, pointing out a pain point for them, and you're going to help them. So this isn't just a great show. I'm not just a great producer. I'm not just a great person to hang out with. Um, but also, this is going to help you maybe even in ways you're not even thinking about today. I'm just going to mention this one thing and be like, oh yeah, we could use a show like Jeopardy. Um, That would help us. And that's, and so that's what we do constantly. That's what what we're constantly kind of trying to think of what is the show that could be the most successful show in the history. That's when we're pitching Netflix, the whole goal is what could be the show that would be as big or bigger than stranger things that when you're pitching, you know, that's the goal every time.
0: So let's talk about research, which is one of my favorite things to do. And I think people overlook it. I can tell people overlook it because people email me questions and I I feel like I'm a college admissions officer going, oh, you just asked (laughs) a question you could have looked up on the internet.
1: Here's the best example. You ready for this? So when I was at VH1, uh, one of my gigs was uh, for a while interviewing celebrities so that when a new movie would come out, they would fly, sometimes it would be in New York, but sometimes they would fly me to LA um, I flew to Paris and Chicago and all these places.
0: Wait, how'd you inter- get that gig?
1: I, <laughs> know, I, again, I think I said, how about we do this? And then Bill Brand was like, yeah, you should do that. And that led to
0: this amazing gig. Amazing, create that opportunity, Dave. Ex-
1: ex- saying how about this is a, what about this? It it has led to many amazing things for me. And I, I keep I just keep figuring out different ways of saying it. Um, but anyway, so in this case, um, one of the people I met, let's say four times over the course of like three, four, five years, was Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Amazing. Um,
1: and at the time he's putting out action movie after action movie, and then also these comedies, et cetera. So the first time I met him, it's like anything. You go into this room, there's cameras there. You sit down, you ask him questions, and he was great. He was just so nice. Hello, David. How are you? Call me Mr. You know, call me Arnold. Call me Arnold. And he has this gigantic handshake, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the first time was great. He was great, but it wasn't memorable in any way. It was like every other interview I've ever had. The second time, the second time, I go in. So it's now a year later. It's for a diff- totally different movie, right? He had launched a movie the year before, year and a half before. Now it's a year and a half later. I'm going in, at this point, I had interviewed 100, 200, whatever it is, 100 plus celebrities. Um, And it was very hard at that point to surprise me. It's always the same. So I go in and uh, immediately he stands up. So first of all, he's this gigantic guy. I'm six feet tall, I'm not small, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he stands up crazy handsome looks amazing reaches out his hand and right away hello David how and and I was immediately taken aback just by that act the the most celebrities will just sit there they'll be very nice it's very quiet Arnold stood up whatever um and I said hey how are you good to see you again and me my brain I'm like well he has a list of people so he knew my name was David this is not hard to figure out um uh, and I he I said hello Mr Schwarzenegger I always was very I I just thought wow these are big gigantic stars or gigantic directors or whatever I should and he did his thing where he's like David call me Arnold and I you know and I, that whole big thing and then we're standing there he says call me call me Arnold and then he goes how is your lovely wife Jennifer and how is your daughter Sarah. And I literally was shocked. I I didn't, you, you, I'm sure if there was a camera on me, you could see my brain crackling and like breaking apart. And I was like, oh my gosh, uh, she's Jen is great. At that point, I had been married maybe three years. Um, and Sarah is what, or no, maybe five years. And Sarah was like, say two years old. Sarah is wonderful. He said, how old is she again? And I said, she's two. Um, And then he was like, wow, it's such a great time. And he, you know, we started talking about having kids or whatever, and then he sat down. And the whole thing, first of all, again, my mind is blown. I'm trying to think about what my questions are supposed to be, but it made the whole interview just 10 times better. I was more relaxed and shocked. I was asking him these questions. It was like two old friends immediately. And I could not figure out what had happened. I was just, it just didn't make any sense. And then of course, the answer is obvious. I left, I was shocked. I go back into this room with all these other interviewers, much, you know, all these other people from different places all over the country. Um, One person was like, how was the interview? I, I knew her well, and she was much more experienced and probably 20 years older than me. And I was like, Arnold knew my wife's name and my, it was so weird. And she was like, oh, he has note cards. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And she's like, well, the last, the first, you know, you've interviewed him before. I said, yeah. She's like, well, the first time you go in, he probably asked you about your wife, whenever he has an assistant, write the key things down. So then the next time you come in and it, the the older I got and the more experienced I got and, and the more I started pitching more, what I realized was all that was, was research. All that was, was him going, because what, what I didn't realize is in those instances when I'm meeting Julia Roberts or Tom Cruise or Schwarzenegger or or Whoopi Goldberg or Samuel L. Jackson or whoever, I was always thinking about how amazing it was for me. I was not thinking that at that moment they're selling me. They're trying to get me to promote their movie. I did not even think of that as the relationship. It did That did not register to me as a 28 year old or however old i was um what i realized was that's what they were doing and he was great at it some of them were just 10 times better at it than everybody and that's i think why they became so globally famous schwarzenegger was amazing at it tom cruise was amazing at it um uh you know will smith um this was pre slap obviously but he was amazing at it and made you feel fantastic julia roberts some people were just so good at it uh, that you ended up promoting their movies more because they were just such great people. And that's so that when I say research, it's not just no, like when we're researching, say we're pitching uh, Disney Plus, you don't just want to know everything about Disney Plus and everything you can about what has done well there and what has failed and who their competitors are, all the obvious things. But you you also want to know who the person is you're pitching as much as you can about them what what successes have they had successes then lead to decisions right and if they've had a success in cooking competition they're much more likely to buy another one um if they've had success in performance competition they're much more likely to buy another one so research i think it is it is it is the be all and end all of, of a great pitch. Positivity, obviously, that's one of the things I always talk about, but research is, pe- it's crazy to me that people don't do it as much as they should.
0: Hey, that was a masterclass, that was incredible. <laughs> we could like, you know, edit that and like sell it to masterclass, that was so phenomenal. Um, I do actually wanna give a permission slip to people who are listening, cause I don't know if you hear this, but this comes up for me sometimes we take for granted that we should be researching people i research my clients i mean who doesn't because you want to show up and know and 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 what i'm getting at is like when someone has researched me and i've researched them people feel good about it like they love to know that you've done your homework and i'm bringing this up because some people will apologize and say well am i allowed to do that i think it sounds like a little stalkery and i was like no because also it shows the lengths you're willing to go like how hard you will work for something
1: I always say polite and persistent. So I get apologies about that same thing. Like, oh, I'm sorry, but I I looked you up. Well, okay. I would have, if, if we're talking and you were looking to work with us or whatever, I would hope that you knew something (laughs) like, don't be a moron. Um, Polite and persistent and professional that. And then what happens is people will follow up and they'll say, I'm so sorry. Like after they have followed up the second time, I'm just like, Following up on a regular basis doesn't show that you're, uh, I don't know, desperate in any way. It shows that you're professional. That's it. How many emails do I get every day? I I don't even know. Some days it is an astronomical amount. I'm going to miss one. I'm not going to be able to reply to all of them. That's just a a truth. Cleve replies to a lot. So then I don't have to, we split them up or whatever. But if you're following up with me, you may have to sometimes reach out three, four times. As long as you're polite, professional, persistent. These are good things. These are not, these are not bad things.
0: Mm. Any other mistakes do you see people make regularly that we could correct right now?
1: Negativity. Uh, It's weird how people don't, this is because when I started, so, so I worked at MTV, MTV VH1. I worked with you every day was wonderful. And then when I started (laughs) um, uh, pitching on my own, Um, and creating on my own, I took like a thousand pitches. I just, I I basically reached out to everybody and said, I had gotten like a pilot on VH1 and a pilot on Nickelodeon. And I was like, I'm selling things. I'm amazing. I'm on top of the world. (laughs) If you have any ideas, come and pitch me. So comedians, producers, writers, all of these people came and and pitched me because I also didn't have enough ideas on my own. Now, Cleve and I don't take pitches anymore. We haven't for 10 years because our whole thing is creating. And that's what we do constantly. Back then I was like, I need to learn this process. I need to meet people. I need to, so I took a thousand pitches. And what you find is a lot of times people don't do their homework. A lot of times people don't do any research. They're just kind of spitballing. And it felt like, oh my gosh, that idea you had in the taxi on the way over or whatever in the subway. But one of the most shocking things was negativity. I it is it is weird to me, but it does happen that people's um insecurities, people's people, weird internal negativity comes out in weird ways. Um, we were pitching with someone who uh, is a big time unscripted television producer. and he, and I it was cra- it was crazy to me. We're pitching, um say we pitched 10 different places he and his partner had just had a pretty big failure like nine months before a year before whatever it was but the crazy thing is what failures in tv people just don't remember because like there's tons of tv so they come and go for the first say two or three pitches he kept bringing up that failed show in weird ways he would say well this show is different than our last show whatever blah 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 this show is different in this way and you're just like dude don't don't bring up that you just had a massive failure. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Then the next then the next pitch was even in a slightly different, you know, it was like, we were talking about something else. He was like, well, unlike that last show, now that didn't do well, but this is different. But unlike that last show, we're doing this. And eventually we had to go to the partner and say, is this as weird for you as it is to us? And he said, yes. Um, and so the guy stopped doing it, but the negativity seeps in in different ways it's never smart, I don't think it's ever good. If you're trying to get a job, please don't talk about the time that you got fired. It just doesn't make any sense. Positivity has always been, I've just always been kind of a positive person even when I was a kid. Um, and so it's always kind of seeped in. It's probably why I, one of the reasons why I do so as well as I do. Um, but certainly don't let negativity sleep, seep in. Rehearse what you're pitching to someone and, and say to them, definitely catch any time that I'm being negative and help me flip it into a positive statement.
0: Wait, on that, how do you and um, Cleve prepare? Like what is your rehearsal process? I, I, you're coming back for another one because I still want to go through the thousand <laughs> steps you have to take to even get in front of somebody. <laughs> And I want to circle back and I didn't even get a chance to go into like, how did you as a 20 something year old with your brother even have the wherewithal to get into Comedy Central to pitch and successfully sell a show? That's a whole nother episode. You're coming back to explain that one. <laughs> but in um, this case, I would just love to like on a wrap, like get, it's like, so, cause as you just said, you know, rehearse in front of someone, you know, which to me is like kind of a one hundred and one, and I don't mean to um, be dismissive, but no. can I can't tell you how many people, it's one yeah. of my ten, top 10 core tenants. Winners don't wing it. This whole idea that you're better when you go in off the cuff is is a, a fallacy. That's not true. And there's data to support that. But so how do you, do you, you bounce off each other? Do you have other third-party people? Do you record we, um... yourselves? Do you create, I don't know, giant cutouts of the people you're pitching? <laughs>
1: Well, we, when, when a pitch comes and one of the things I've learned about myself personally is that I do work better under pressure. So there are certainly many, many, many times where we're not completely ready for the pitch, but we schedule it anyway. All these pitches are two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out. So it kind of forces, it forces that energy. It forces the two of you to talk about it. Oh, it's coming up in a week. It's coming up in three days. It's coming up tomorrow um and so but yes we we we've done it enough now that there's a obvious shorthand but we rehearse the pitch in so if one of us usually has written the presentation one of us has usually done a little bit more so one of us will say okay i'm here's what i'm thinking about this pitch and then you do you launch into it and then the other person goes okay but as soon as you said blank it it signaled this in my head what i mean all we're trying to do at all but one of the big things we're trying to do is avoid an obvious no an obvious pass an obvious you know we're not interested and so you're trying to overcome all the obvious no's before you get to them so so the pitches yesterday there was one show in particular that i had you know done more work on and and i said okay here's what i'm thinking and i i went through the pitch with Cleve, and she said well just keep in mind when you said this, and I was like, of course, yes, dumb, 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 dumb. And then she was like, "Uh, then that other thing you said, um, it's not clear enough. And that's so much of, of pitching, whether you're pitching yourself, so much of it is be clear, clear. If you're trying to get a job, I mean, this is what I say to younger people. If you're trying to get a job in this industry or any industry, What is the one thing that makes you memorable? What is the one thing where as you walk away and at the end of the day, they probably they're probably going to interview whatever it is, 20 people, 100 people, whatever, you know, or they've taken 200 resumes. Now they're interviewing five people or they're interviewing 20 people, whatever it is. Well, you need to be memorable. If you've gone to Harvard, that's your thing, right? You should say the word Harvard five times (laughs) in different ways. But I've seen people get hired because of red. I've seen, I I saw this happen where this woman got hired over somebody else because people just kept talking about the red glasses she wore, and it wasn't that you know her resume was worse than somebody else. It's just when it comes down to we got this resume, this resume, every basically about equal. She got the thing because she wore the red glasses. I've heard you know uh, getting into college is very very similar right now what they're looking for is what's the one theme about this kid that we can remember what's the one thing and so when we're pitching we routinely say what is the one thing that we're selling what more than anything with chopped there was a lot going on obviously but the one thing i hit was iron chef because that 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 time that was their one cooking competition that did well so i must have said the words iron chef Five times in different ways in in different parts of that pitch i kept going back and so you don't have to say the obvious right you don't have to say hey iron chef is crushing it for you iron chef is rating every single week um because they know that there's stuff that they know but every time i said well you know so an iron chef in act three and four it gets a little bit slow but in chopped it's never going to get slow because there's three different competitions what i'm doing is repeating that word Iron Chef again and and giving the pain point. They see the ratings. They know that it dipped in the middle. Chopped isn't going to dip in the middle because it's got three different competitions every single hour. So unlike Iron Chef, there it is again. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Chopped. Da, da, da. And that's kind of what you're trying to do. What is the one thing? on both those shows yesterday that we were pitching, I think yesterday in those three pitches, we pitched three different shows in different ways. Um, we knew what the one most important thing was every single time. And it's very different per show. One was the talent we were working with. Uh, one was uh the play-along at home where we were like people are gonna yell at the TV. One was this show could last for 50 years. This show's such a classic that it could so it's a different thing every time, but there's only you can only remember they can people can only remember one thing. They're only gonna, they're only going to remember one thing. So what's the one thing?
0: Oh my God, Dave, I could talk to you. I could keep you, hold you here hostage on my podcast for hours, um, but I won't do that. But I do want, in closing, I just want if you could give us a little amused boosh about the visionary in charge.
1: Oh my gosh. It, the book is coming in September. We're about to announce the official date, finally. We're about to launch the website, finally, um, but it comes out in September. It is called The Visionary in Charge. Seven simple rules. And as I said, one of them is life's a pitch and then you die. But seven simple rules because just one extraordinary idea can change your life. And it's so true. You see it time and time again. Um, And in the book, I talk about not only my own personal stories and Schwarzenegger's in there, um, but I talk about Oprah and uh, Stephen King and Walt Disney and All of these different people who I've either uh, met, so Barry Diller, uh, Jerry Weintraub, Tom Cruise, Celine Dion, I've either met, worked with, um, or just studied extensively. And um, you see it again and again and again, just that one extraordinary idea can totally change a person's life. And so that's what it's all about.
0: I love it. By the way, Thanks to you in the last episode, I read the Jerry Weintraub book and I got a lot out of it.
1: My Gosh, it's such a great book. Jerry Weintraub only wrote one book. Um, It's awesome. That, and then the Brandon Tartikoff also wrote a book. No matter what you're working on, no matter what field you're working in, Tartikoff's book is amazing. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Okay, thanks for the tip. Adding it to the list. Thank you, Dave, so much. Can't wait to have you back for the book launch.
1: Always welcome. Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're looking for help tapping into your greatness and becoming a better leader, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.